wow, that was a long time ago. I think my wife still has a AOL uh, internet address, but that's she's the, about the only person I know. Yeah, we cleaned their clock pretty good. All right, all right, all right. Uh, well, we, what we want to talk about was because I've been seeing some um, articles going around about how we have excessive debt. Now, obviously, the federal government has excessive what? debt. We have excessive no, debt? No, wait, wait, the federal government debt. But there's some, uh, these were articles I was seeing in the Greenwich Times. You know, as you know, Greenwich, Connecticut has a lot of hedge funds nearby. Uh, more of them are leaving to go to uh, low-tax states like Texas, Florida, Tennessee. How but, about, how about uh, surplus states like California? Well, no, I don't think they're moving to California. But what they're saying is that the economy may be about to suffer from uh, some severe uh, insolvencies among private sector companies, and they attribute that to the role of non-bank banks that have been lending uh, kind of out of control from the Federal Reserve for the last 15 or 20 years. These are mostly hedge funds that have taken up the lending role that commercial banks have been withdrawing from. So I wonder what you can tell us from your experience with the market ticker on that subject. Well, non-bank lenders have to lend actual money that they get from somebody. So right. uh, the, the risk there is if you don't pay them back, then that entity loses whatever it is that they gave you because there's nothing to get back. Um, there's a substantial difference between non-bank lenders and banks of any form. Why don't you explain uh, that? In that a bank actually creates the money they lend you. This is not what you're taught in school, but this is how it actually works. And the hope is that whoever it is that you spend that money with, that you borrowed from them, will turn around and deposit it back into a bank. Okay. Yep. Now, what you're what you're actually told is that they lend your deposits, but that's a lie. Uh, so, so where so where do commercial risk, so where do commercial banks get their money from the discount window? They, they invent it out of thin air, okay. quite literally. Um, and and this is one of the big scams that goes on in this country is that the Federal Reserve and Congress have permitted this to occur and you know if, if you watch the old movie it's a you know it's a wonderful life you know right. Bailey and Bettle and all this right? right you get this idea that where the bank got its original reserves was from you making cash deposits of right. you know your paycheck or whatever have you right and it used to be that this was how commercial banking worked, that there was a recycling mechanism and they had to hold typically 10% of those deposits in cash. And of course, the problem with the run on the bank is that if everybody wants their cash back now, the bank doesn't have it because it's loaned it out to other people. Right. But what happens in the modern world is not what you saw in that movie. What happens in the modern world is that the bank pushes a button and credits your account. And then when you spend the money, let's say you go buy a car, the car dealer deposits the money that you spent that they created out of thin air back in the, into the bank and, and thereby balances the book. So <laughs> this is really a scam writ large. And that's where the systemic risk comes from because these institutions do this and then they go one step further, and they take these loans and securitize them and sell them off to people. 
right. being stuck with the parts of them that aren't any good, then they have no capital to cover that. Okay, but oh, wait, when you said that they you buy the you buy the car, okay, you obviously put like in, in essence an order to buy your car because of money that they're lending you. Uh, let the audience know exactly how is it that the person who sold you the car gets the money that we had borrowed. Well, because you let's say that you go to your bank or your credit union and you get a prepaid approval to buy a thirty thousand dollar vehicle. Okay. You now have in your hand what amounts to a site draft. It's essentially a check. It's good for any amount up to $30,000. And it's drawn on that bank. The problem is the bank didn't have the $30,000. Literally invented it on a whole cloth. When the dealer, when the car dealer cashes that, he balances the book because he puts the 30 grand back where the debit was, where there was there was a black hole, and fills it back up. Now you say, well, but there's no guarantee that it's the same bank. And that's true, it's not. But that is how the Federal Reserve balances the books at the end of the day, by moving money between the institutions. So wow. I, uh, the yeah, the audience seems to... Go ahead, continue. Yeah, the banking system as a whole creates these loans out of whole cloth, that in and of itself is not inflationary for only one reason, and that is because when you have that loan out, there's a physical thing that somebody created, in this case a car, and you can't sell that car without paying the loan back. So to the extent that you're lending money like this, against physical things that have already been made, there isn't a monetary impact. Where there is a monetary impact is when the federal government does the same thing by issuing treasuries and spends it on things that don't exist. For example, they just give it to people to go blow on groceries or whatever have you, uh, or for that matter, to go to the track and gamble. Okay, uh, now, but what, what scenario... Uh does that occur? Is that a government to government, government to citizen, or government Transfer to bank payments. to bank? Transfer payments. That's how they're used. Well, the, the government government lending is always unbacked. In other words, there is no asset. Yeah, there's no gold. Well, it's not. It doesn't have to be gold. It could be anything. If you borrow a hundred thousand dollars against your house, and your house is worth three hundred grand then you have taken $100,000 worth of something tangible off the market because you can't sell the house without giving the bank back the $100,000. Right. Okay, now in, in ancient times and up until uh, 1913 and then when the gold window was closed and, and everything was shut down by Nixon, yep. this was more or less the way that this worked at a national level as well. If the federal government wanted to issue bonds, in theory, there was gold behind that. The problem is that there never was, okay? This, this fractional lending game has been practiced by governments and individual banks since the time of Hammurabi. It's wow. not a new thing. Yeah, I want the audience to understand that uh, Hammurabi was basically the first to create currency. Yeah, Mesopotamia. 
Mesopotamia, right. folks. <laughs> that's a, a that's a, a long time ago. Yeah, that's essentially what the, it was the same deal. People came in and put their their gold on deposit, and and these people and, and the bank issued chits that said that they were good for this much gold. The problem was there were more chits out than there was gold. <laughs> yes. So in this case, uh, is it true that if you were to pay your taxes in cash at an IRS office, there's a rule in the IRS internal that that money is to be shredded? It's not really deposited anywhere, even though you paid, it's credited to your account electronically, but the physical dollars that you paid with to, to credit your account, to bring it to zero per se, that money in itself is actually shredded. It's not, it just disappears because it's already credited to your account. Is that true or is that uh, basically... Rumor, gossip, innuendo, and conspiracy theory. Insinuendo, as Mayor Daly said. Well, it, it, see, the thing is this: it doesn't. It, it, in point of fact, it doesn't really matter whether or not that in, you know that takes place or not. Because first off, virtually all taxes are paid electronically these days. All right? You, you, right. you get a paycheck, and you get a stub. You get a pay stub from uh, you know your employer. And it says this much was withheld for, for federal taxes, this much was withheld for FICA, this much was withheld for Medicare, and whatever state taxes you have. Uh, and then there's a bunch of others that you don't see as an employee, but your employer pays, okay? The other half of FICA and Medicare, there's a, there's a tax called FUTA, which is federal unemployment tax. Most states have another one that's, that's SUTA, state unemployment tax. Um, there's a workman's compensation tax. There's, depending on where you live and work, there could be a dozen of these things. In some places, you have not only state tax, but you have city taxes as well. So, I mean, it, it gets fairly complicated. But none of this is actually paid in, in physical $100 bills. It's all done electronically now. Okay. So, uh, you, you think what I said is true, or you think what I said is not true? In fact, the federal government spends most of its time incentivizing people to do exactly that, stay home and not go to work, in many respects. No, I mean, the more profound is the fact that that the federal government, what he's basically saying is that the federal government is compelled to constantly be putting out treasuries, yep. which sucks money now, from the private now, sector. Carl, do you think this could be uh, help somewhat if we went back to the gold or silver standard? 
know, because there's, there's, the gold bugs have always said this was going to happen, and, and it, so have the silver guys, and it, it, it never has and is not going to. And the reason is this. Um, if you think about the gold standard, what it really says is whichever nation has the largest deposit of gold that is accessible by whatever means, using the technology of the day, right. uh, is the wealthiest nation on the planet. It no longer means anything whether or not you can innovate and invent and actually do something other than dig metal out of the ground. Okay. Uh, so in this case, uh, that, China would have, the, they'd be the wealthiest no, country no, in the world. Be. I don't think the United States has more gold than China. Do you think, don't you think China has uh, accumulated more gold than the U.S. by now? Not really. Well, no. And, and see, that's, but then again, it's not just China. I mean, you know, you, have, you take a look at some of the other rare earth metals that we desperately have to have. Uh, Only China example, exports or, to us. <laughs> well, in order, in order to make lithium batteries, for example, you have to have cobalt, okay? And the largest deposit of cobalt known in the world is in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where right. they like to employ 12-year-old kids to go around and dig the stuff up. Yeah, we have a, a serious issue with uh, lack of rare earth metals because of the environmentalists that pretty much killed the whole industry about 20 years ago. We've been in, importing from China the vast majority of our rare earth, and the other uh, the other uh, importer is Australia. And God forbid if we if we had to rely on Congo. Well, we don't have a shortage of them. We just have a refusal to go dig them out of the ground. We have plenty of rare earth in the United States. Yeah. The environmentalists did shut the mining operations down um, recent, fairly recently. In fact, the largest mine um, approved reserve for those was reactivators bought out of bankruptcy by a company. And But they're shipping the, the they, well, they have been. Who knows what's going on now with Trump? But they've been shipping the oil over to China to be refined. And the problem isn't so much the mining. It's that the refining and separation process uses some incredibly nasty chemicals, right. and they're very expensive to dispose of without destroying the well, environment. So but, sending a, that stuff to China in a ship where China processes them and then dumps the acid on the ground and in the water works just fine for those people. I, I think that's a serious problem. If we're going to actually use these things, then you know we should not allow our industry to destroy someone else's environment in order to make a buck. Well, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to report that in the great state of Texas, a new processing plant is being opened right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem solvable in the United States. We just yes. don't like the price. Well, and remember, he's still living in Florida, so I don't know what the hell he's so giddy yeah, about. Absolutely. Okay, so now there, there is a gentleman at, uh, that I wanted Ed to get on the air, a guy named... Uh, Hertz, big Hertzarg from the Heartland Institute, and he knows a lot about this rare earth metal problem. And one of the threats that China may impose on the United States in this trade war is make the mistake they made back in the 90s to uh, basically stop sending us rare earth metals. So when you say that we have them here in the United States, you're saying that we have them naturally under the ground, but yeah. not mined? Or do you say, are well, you saying that we have it stored? Well, no, we have them in the ground, but the environmentalists won't allow, have not allowed mining. Okay, so that means that we don't have them. Because well, no, then we have to overrule the environmentalists, and that's what the Trumpster is for. And now we well, have now, a place to process uh, if them. this trade war continues, uh, we'll be ready have, to do it. Yeah, we'll have the mandate. Declare a national emergency. Do you, uh, are, you, are you in agreement? 
teams have to choose. You either want electric cars or, or, or you don't. If you're going to scream about people actually having electric cars and cell phones and all these other things that use these batteries, then we're going to have to dig this stuff out of the ground. We're going to have to process it here in the United States. Yep. And we cannot have this both ways. The idea that we should be able to essentially shove off the pollution into another country and poison someone else's citizens is outrageous. Yeah, well, if you one another point is that if you want electric cars and all the other electric appliances that we have, you need to generate electricity, and the most efficient way to do that is with natural gas and similar, you know, fossil fuels. Even coal is still more efficient than wind or solar. You, if you rely on wind or solar, you can't power your electric car. So we'll, well need to yeah, fix that. Right. Uh, but, but you would like to turn on your light switch all the time and or your air conditioner right. and have it work. And that means that if you're going to use renewables, you have to also have at the same time right. enough backup capacity ready yep. in the event that that happens. Right. And the issue that you come up with with that is that when you put that cost into that, maintaining that second plant, having the people on staff, having the fuel there, whatever have you, it no longer is economic to use renewables at all. Right. So there you go. Yeah, the whole renewable industry is a totally artificial industry. But but let, let me now, go back. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a total scam. If you want, if you want a, a power source that does not put greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, which, by the way, I'm not a believer in this nonsense, but if right. you happen to be one and you want a power source that does that, the only answer we have today is nuclear. Right. And what we ought to be doing is using thorium instead of uranium because we can build reactors that are much safer and don't have the dispose, the waste disposal issues. Well, okay, well, we figured out how to do it in the 1960s, and we decided that we didn't want to do that because it doesn't make bombs. Yep. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk about that. But going back to uh, the, the the financial issues that that may be coming up, uh, do you think that there's going to be some kind of uh, explosion in our private sector of uh, defaults? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, the the entire so-called recovery over the last ten years, right, has been nothing other than a debt-fueled orgy, and right. it's going to end very badly. The, the cracks in the credit system are already showing up. If you look in the in the high yield market and in the you know the other places where the Fed doesn't have its fingers, right? You already see the stress there, and and the question becomes, when do you get to the point that these these debts cannot be rolled over and cannot be paid off? And that's it, you know I mean this, this is a business cycle thing. It's going to happen. I just don't know when that day is going to come. But I I would not take a bet on this going for more than another couple of years without another disaster. What about, like, for example, student debt? Isn't that a a place where this is likely to happen? Well, student debt shows up on the federal balance sheet, and it's especially pernicious because if you are crazy enough as a young adult to take on that debt, it is one of the few debts that can't be discharged right. in bankruptcy. Right. So if you actually are dumb enough to do that, and then for whatever reason you can't pick up, and it's not necessarily your fault, you might get sick, you could train for a job that gets outsourced to China, and right. there, is no, there, there are no jobs in that field anymore. There's a hundred things that can go wrong, and you could do everything right but still get hosed through no fault of your own. Right. They will chase you all with interest 
and penalties all the way up until you get to be 65, and then they'll garnish your Social Security. Right, yep. So what other industries do you think will, we might see this uh, blow up? Um, well, I'll tell you, the one, that, the one that I think ought to be scaring people is, is the entire fracking industry. There is not more than one in ten of those operations that's actually cash flow positive. They're all running on borrowed money. And when the crash in that area comes, you're going to see an awful lot of that stuff go kaboom. Right. Um, Texas, by the way, is not new to this. This seems right. to happen cyclically in the oil and gas industry in Texas every 10 or 15 years. Absolutely. And, and we're due for another cycle of that. It's going to be pretty bad. Now, are we being lazy by by depending on fracking as opposed to good old fashioned? It's producing lots of oil and gas. Yeah, but he's saying it's on borrowed money. Why aren't we going deep well? Uh, why aren't we going back yeah. to deep well? The, the, the problem, the reason everybody likes fracking is because it gets more of the oil and gas out of the ground faster. Right. The problem, of course, with taking it out of the ground faster is it runs out faster. Right. Okay. So in, in industry terms, the depletion rate is higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and not by a little either, by a lot. Right. So instead of sticking a straw in the ground and having a well that produces for a couple of years or three years or whatever, you stick a straw in the ground, you frack it, and in six months, the majority of what you're going to get, you got. Yep. Well, one good thing that I can say is that uh, there's recently been found a huge deposit near New Mexico in West Texas. So there is lots of oil out there. We're talking deep well or fracking? Well, either way. Either I mean, fracking will get uh, out. But there's a lot of oil there. So So deep well. But at what price? See, the problem is when you can borrow money for basically zero, you have a a artificially low price on the cost of a barrel to get it out of the ground. Right, but that's a problem for all industries. So what ends up happening when this thing blows up is that the cost of oil spikes, Right. which then hits the rest of the economy. So, but, you know, that problem of of, uh, very low interest rates is something that we've been having since March of 2009, if not longer. So that's going to affect all, all industries. Yes. Used after the tech ball up in 2000. He did the same thing. Right. So it's not exactly a new idea. Right. No, I agree. We're everywhere all over the world, actually, we're in Europe, they have negative interest rates. Uh, and there's going to be a price to pay. Well, and, yeah, the, the price is that you're cranking up asset valuations to unsustainable levels. And at some point, the people who hold those assets and actually handed people real money are going to end up holding the bag. Well, is it? Wouldn't you say that's the reason why the Trumpster got rid of uh, uh, Miss Yellen, who was uh, thinking of uh, well, raising rates? You know, Yellen. First off, Yellen was nothing other than a, than a Bernanke protege, right? Um, and frankly, Jerome Powell is as well. Right. None of these people that are currently there have have the stones to say, "Okay, we blew this huge bubble. We need to take the air out of it." Because if you do that. The stock market probably crashes by at least 50%. You see, <laughs> yes. you see right. real interest rates yes. that are going to be in the in the 5 and 6% range for 10-year for ten money. Yep. The federal government can't pay the interest right. at that price. Okay, that would double. 
double the interest payments on the national debt in an afternoon. They yep. don't have that, okay? We, we would have literally about 30% of all federal spending would immediately go to interest payments, right. which would be very close to the amount that they take in from individual income tax receipts. Uh, the, the consequence of trying to unwind this thing without it blowing up is that it blows up anyway. Right. So they're going to continue <laughs> to play this game until it crashes because they really have no choice. Yeah, when it crashes, nobody will be yeah. blamed. We'll, we'll all as, just as, cry. As Chuck Prince, the former CEO of Citibank, said, when the music's playing, you got to dance. <laughs> and that's what yeah, they're that's, doing. Yeah, the, the problem with that premise is that the, the assumption, you know, Citibank has been rescued twice by the federal government. At okay? least, yes. Uh, and by the way, once by, the, by KFC, by the Saudis. Right. Because they had a lot of money in there. Yep. And so they did their share of lobbying as well. Uh but the thing is, you know, Prince, yeah, that was Prince's infamous statement. Of course, the problem with that is he didn't walk away from the dance before the music stopped, now did he? No, he didn't. He didn't know. Yeah, he didn't know better. He didn't know, and he wasn't going to do it. And nobody, you're right, nobody has the courage to face up to it. Uh, and, you know, I, for example, the whole stock market rise from February of 2009 until November of 16 was totally fueled by low interest rates. That's that's my hypothesis. And then I think when the Trumpster came in, the Trumpster helped yeah, the market the, with the lower taxes. Hmm? Go ahead. Say that again. How do you pull that up? You go to you go to debt to the penny. Take that off the size of the economy. Figure out what the percentage is. Okay. And last year it was about five percent. So we have negative interest rates in real terms, and we have a negative GDP. <laughs> and that's that's what happens in a depression. Yep, I agree. And the, you know, the, Trump has helped in three ways. He's cut taxes, which is always good. He's reduced regulations, which is always good. And he has created more of an atmosphere pro-entrepreneurial. But nevertheless, the, the negative interest rates are going to hit us. Well, I would disagree with that. It's not pro-entrepreneurial to advantage people to do un, to do uneconomic things well, that's because right. the people who get to do that are the Jeff Bezos of the world, right. not the entrepreneurs. Well, at least he doesn't look at businesses and say, you didn't build that. Um, give him well, time. Well, you know what? But he's doing the same thing. What he's, what he's saying is, because I have a billion dollars worth of real estate, I'm going to find ways to school the little guy who'd like to build ten houses. <laughs> Yeah, he's yep. definitely he's definitely impacting every single biz, well, mom and pop every, up there. So, so when do you, so you, so really, <laughs> it, it's just a matter of time before interest rates have to go uh, positive. Not only in the U.S., but Europe is having the same problem, or even worse. And uh, I don't think Asia is any better off. Well, the question is the political one: When will they cho- they choose an environment to raise the rates that doesn't sabotage the, day the after, momentum? The day after Trump is elected. Or before. You can't do it, which is the problem. See, if if Powell was to put rates back where they should go to a positive real rate of return, in other words, if you look at the federal deficit, federal deficit 
five percent of the economy. Right. So you would have to have a positive bias over that. So let's. So that would mean that short rates would have to be about six percent. Okay. Now, if Powell was to do that, was to take the short-term rates right now to six percent, no. the federal government would have to stop deficit spending or it would default. Right. And that is what the Fed should have done after 07, 08. Right. Yeah, when the but, shock was already here. But they here. couldn't because they had uh, Obama and they were going to you know, lower interest rates to keep the economy floating. Well, wait a minute. You had TARP. That was before Obama, so no, it no, guaranteed no, his was, presidency. Yeah. So what? Uh, remember, that crash came when Bush was still president. Yes, right. Yes. So the TARP was an indication that I believe, uh, me, me personally, I believe Bush accepted TARP to assure himself that McCain would not win and well, his people who, who would knows? not be prosecuted. <laughs> yeah, who knows? No, no he, he, he accepted Trump because Hank Paulson was, is, is a banker, right. okay? And he knew so well that if he didn't get what amounted to a blank check, then what was going to happen was every investment bank on Wall Street that had ripped off millions of Americans was going to go out of business, <laughs> which is exactly what should have happened. Right. They all should have gone out of business, and then they should have been prosecuted and thrown in prison. Anyone that thinks that, that there wouldn't have been another bank set up tomorrow yep. if the one on the corner in your town went under is out of their mind. People need a bank somewhere to put their money. Right. If there isn't one, because that one closed, someone is going to start another one. But at the same time, all those deposits are liquidated. Well, that's okay. Well, but realize something here. If, if I'm an entrepreneur, whether I want to be in manufacturing cars or I want to be lending money and be a bank, I would love to buy your existing plant, your existing building for 10 cents on a dollar. That is the best deal I could ever make. So if you go under, I get a great deal on setting up a competitor. Yeah, which is, uh, I agree with you. That was the yeah, nature of Somebody the, would step in, no question. Well, yeah, we saw it play out in the savings and loan fiasco when Resolution Trust Corporation right, yep. made billionaires out of millionaires and made millionaires out of middle class men buying real estate on exactly that, 40 cents on the dollar. Yeah, and, and that's what should have been done. But, you know, but of course, that means that all those people on Wall Street would have lost their jobs. Some of them would have gone. None of them did. Yeah. All right. Well, there were plenty. Though Lehman went under, Bear Stearns sort of went under. But then nobody there went to jail. There are a lot fewer banks. No, nobody went to jail. Okay. There are a lot fewer banks. But as they say on Wall Street, you can't be go to jail for business failure. Simple business failure is not a crime. All, All right. right. Well, Carl, thank you very much. Thank you. You have very, you give us a lot to talk about. Thank you very much. Yeah, we got to do this more often. Yeah, you know? we'll have you back. Definitely. Thank, Thanks, Carl. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. All right. Yeah, that th- those conversations are always so, so fulfilling because the audience has got to love the fact that a lot of the wonder of the financial market isn't a wonder at all. It's well, a racket. Uh, th- yeah, it's no question that the way this uh, crisis was handled was very different from the way the savings and loan crisis was handled. Uh, and here's our next caller. Is that? This is the Concrete Conservative with Mac on the Rock and Marvelous Ed Vidal. Who do I have a pleasure to speak with? You're live on 94.5. Hi, it's Larry Siegel. How are you, Larry? Hey, Larry, thank you for calling. Um, sure. I think our, our audience is familiar with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you uh, before we start asking you the question of the day? Why don't you tell us about your background, what you, what you write, your website, where that is? 
I'm a retired investment manager. I used to work for Ibbotson Associates, which is now part of Morningstar, and then the Ford Foundation, each of those for 15 years. Now I write, and I've written a book called Fewer, Richer, Greener, to be published by Wiley in October, and it's about the uh, future of the human race. I'm a modest guy. And I, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I, yeah. we all want to know what the future of the all human right. race. I so, mean, do we you know, all? It's all right there in my book. All right. Well, Larry, we were talking to Carl about uh, interest rates. Well, we're talking about a lot of things, but we got down to interest rate. What do you think of of these negative interest rates that we've been running? How long do you think they've been running them? And uh, where do you see the future? Well, uh, I think that negative real rates uh, were around in the seventies, and at that time. Uh, they were referred to as financial repression. Right. Uh, that's exactly what it is. It's taxing savers uh, to reduce the real value of the government debt. Right. And uh, we're back to that. You know, the government said without a war, without a significant war, has, has been run up due to, to social spending in excess of, of social taxation. And the, the uh, future of government debt looks like more of the same. So we're seeing real interest rates as a, as a form of tax. What, what do I think will happen in the future? It probably uh, inflation rates will go higher, and interest rates will not go as high as the inflation rate, and we're going to continue to receive negative real interest rates. But as uh, I've said, reminded many people, I'm not a market forecaster, but that's okay because nobody is. Well, down here in Florida, we have a lot of people that are counting on uh, you know, retiring with some kind of uh, positive interest rates, but we know some of our friends are having trouble making ends meet because their their uh, their savings are not yielding what they expected. What what do you see? Where do you see that going? You're breaking up, Carl. Is that? No, it could be the breathing breathing into the microphones. Because we are, are here in the studio, I can hear you breathing into your cell phone or, or landline. I'm on a cell phone. I can switch to a landline if you want. Yeah, please, uh, please do. Because I'm, I'm, we're having, we're hearing, uh, you know, air going into the phone. And therefore, we're not, we're not hearing everything you're saying. Okay. Well, I'll be back in about one minute. Perfect. All right. Well, that's a good that's a good question mark because uh, you know all these everyone recognizes that we have negative interest rates and the reason it's being ha- done well most people industry and professionals industry professionals and the reason it's being done is to finance government excessive spending. Okay, I want you to ask him since you want to hog up all the airtime because I yep. can see that your book has got more questions than my head does. Mm-hmm. What is it that we really have to do to take a serious effort? to repeal the income tax, to get a consumption tax, and have these people answer this question of what shock and awe will be upon Convention us. Convention of states. We okay, need to I'm repeal that article, I'm talking about the Amendment impact. 16. I thought about the impact on the market, not the exercise in getting it done. What? Welcome back, Larry. Is that you? Yes, it's me. All right, no, oh, b- big difference. Yes, thank okay. you. No, what we were we were talking about is what what you know. Basically, the financial repression is being exercised in order to allow governments to uh, spend too much. Yeah, the, the government has three sources of, of revenue, not printing money. That's not revenue. That that's just rearranging the terms of 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 trade between 
between the currency and real economic uh, resources. But the government ha can either tax current production, which is you know the income tax and, and other taxes. It can tax future production by going into debt and then having future generations pay the debt. Yep. Or it can tax past production. And the way you tax past production is to take away part of the real value of savers' uh, real balances. Uh, in other words, to make your savings worth less. By inflation? By inflation. Yeah, or devalue, well, basically devalue. Well, an interest rate lower than inflation. So, we're, but everyone says that we have very low inflation. Is that true? Well, it's probably between 2 and 3%, which is low enough for, to be manageable if you can make 2 or 3% in the riskless uh, Treasury bill market. But, you know, the problem is that you can't, with any reliability, at right. the first sign of recession, those inflation rates are not going to go down, but the interest rate is going to go down. And then there's the, the, the bigger problem is that you're unanticipated inflation, let's say that inflation goes from two to four, that right. comes directly off the savings of old people, right. people who've happened to save, right. uh, and anybody who's bought U.S. Treasury bonds at a fixed interest rate is getting uh, taxed without their consent. Oh, well, how, 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 how dishonest is that? Okay, so I'm um, no, I'm just being Go sarcastic. Ahead. Now, w since you're you're in the know, and this is the theme of this uh, of this show, often, what would it what would be the impact of the repeal of the income tax in exchange for a consumption tax and maybe or a sales a, tax, yeah, or yeah. a VAT tax instead of the income tax on wage earners, not not profits. I'm not I'm excluding profits from tax of uh, corporate. Net profits will continue to be taxed, but the wage earner will no longer be taxed. What would be the economic impact, and how could that actually occur? Because uh, Ed and I are both involved in the Convention of States movement using Article 5, and in order for us to articulate in these conventions and these uh, symposiums we are participating in, how is it we were to explain, because we all want to repeal the income tax, but what? how can you do it in a manner that doesn't shock uh, a financial system that has a government uh, issuing so many treasuries that is sucking the life out of the private sector economy with treasury bills. You probably can't repeal the income tax without shocking the financial system profoundly. Yep. Uh, it's been embedded in the system at uh, you know at, at roughly 17% of GDP for 75 years now. Okay. And to uh, switch to a VAT might produce the same amount of revenue, but it would produce a completely different set of incentives. And you'd have to restructure every, every labor contract in the country, and I don't really don't know how you do it. But bigger changes have occurred before. You know, bringing in the income tax was done very gradually until World War One, when the tax rates went. To the roof. in the World War II and they went to 90. Right, and they stayed at 90 for a long time. Yeah, it was 90 for a long time, although people tell me nobody paid it. Right. There was um, all, all these uh, all these tax shelters, and in the 70s, uh, you know, people like Jerry Reinsdorf were able to buy the White Sox in 81 because he ran all these tax shelters in the 1970s. So that was malinvestment, according to the, as the Austrians would say. Okay, so now we, we've got that point. I want the audience to understand that 
Uh, whether we like it or not, we're going to have a shock to the system because if we continue uh, in this foray, which is people uh, basically not saving, people running their credit cards until they're dead, people thinking they can retire on Social Security, uh, this system is so embedded, and still you got a government writing bonds, issuing bonds, sucking the life out of the economy, because that's basically, if you invest in a Treasury bill, you're not investing in a in an R&D company, you're not inventing in a right. medical supply company or any of the other publicly traded companies. And at the same time, there's a lot of people who think they can retire with Social Security, and we know that Social Security can't even pay a cable bill. So what is it we have to do before it's going to crash anyway and it shock the system? Well, oh, You want me to read your book? No, because the answer isn't in there. Uh, The book is more about the future of the whole world and does not dwell on the fiscal or monetary challenges of any particular country, although I'm American and I have my own special concerns about the United States. What we're experiencing is going on everywhere. And it's uh, simply a characteristic of an aging society that uh, government has made promises that it isn't going to be able to keep. So somebody, you know, once once somebody makes a promise to pay somebody, that promise will uh, be charged to one account or another. Either the person won't get paid, so the the uh, creditor pays it, or the person does get paid, or which means the debtor pays it, or else a third party pays it. And of course, in our system, a third party uh, it, it usually winds up with most of the burden. So what's going to happen is young people will pay higher taxes. Uh, old people will retire with fewer resources than they would like, although many are doing perfectly fine. And economic growth will be slower because the government is going to borrow beyond its ability to, to pay it back without all kinds of hidden taxes like the low negative interest rate. But we, you know, we'll muddle through. And, when, you know, after people my age, I'm about to turn 65, after we die, uh, the country will be young again, and it, the problem will be more or less uh, resolved until it becomes old again yet another time at the end of the century. But, I, but, but that's too far away for me to really. Okay, so that. you so you're basically saying that the the negative, the extremely low negative birth rates we're presently experiencing with this next generation. Why are you so confident that once you die? that the next generations could out-reproduce the previous one, which doesn't seem to be the case. Well, that doesn't mean they will. If you have a low, a low enough birth rate for a long enough time, uh, the problem will keep going on. Because you see that in Europe, where they've had negative birth rates since the early 90s. Yeah, and they have negative interest rates even more than we do. Yeah, And yeah. not only that, but they've had to recruit the Muslim uh, culture into the Middle East just to do menial labor because Europeans won't, which is an, 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 a discussion for another day considering they have a uh, really successful school system. But it's an inbred uh, in the system to pretty much cohabitate, uh, child out of wedlock, uh, very open liberal society. You know, uh, they abort more than we do uh, or, or they don't conceive at all. I mean, 70% of Finland right now is born out of wedlock. So if that happens here... What do you think that's going to do to that formula you might be discussing about 65-year-olds like Ed uh, passing away and people like me only having two children? Because I've only had two children, and 
Most of my friends don't have the third child, and you need more than two per fertile woman to sustain a population. You need just a little over two, that's right, because most people now survive to, to childbearing age. I do think that incentives, you know, when you go to the, when you look at the historical data, the uh, population uh, explosion always comes to an abrupt end when people reach a certain level of income. But then there's a hint that it turns up again at very high levels of income, which uh, it, we're seeing now in parts of the United States where uh, a natalist movement is beginning to take hold. Uh, France is well above 2.0. Uh, maybe they're all Muslims. I don't know the details. Yeah, that, that's that's the point. That's the problem. That they are among Muslims. They're four, they're a four to one. Exactly the the exactly. Um, you know, I can go ahead and say it. You know, the Muslims are out reproducing the Christians because there are no Christians in Europe. Right. Uh, there are churches only, but no real faiths. Uh, they had that church tax that was imposed on them after World War II, and that was a big mistake because the Vatican condoned it, it to repair the churches to keep them up. But nobody's in there anymore because yeah. they're all they're Anytime overtaxed. there's a tax to support the church, that's always a bad idea. Yeah, because you're associating so, your faith so with the tax. Larry, are you going to write a sequel to your book, like? Fewer, richer, greener, or maybe bankrupt? Well, <laughs> no. if, have, if the population declines long enough or steeply enough, you could go bankrupt if you have an intergenerational transfer system where the young support the old. Right, which uh, Europe and America do. Which you're right. So that that is a legitimate concern. I, I don't have a sequel plan, but I'm trying to collect feedback on all the stuff I've said and see if it resonates or if, if people can poke holes in it, and that's one of the one of the holes, is that uh, Singapore has a, a 0 0.68 uh, birth rate, uh, so the population falls, the native population falls in half, um, or more, by more than half in every generation. Same with, same with Japan. And uh, China was suffering it, but they, they gave up their rule. No, but uh, Japan, uh, China is also uh, losing population because of their one-child policy. Well, they reversed that. Now. No, but even then, the, the, the parents are not having more than one. They're just used to it. So it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but I think incentives will change. And uh, they changed once to make a child rearing very expensive and undesirable. And if you have too few young people... Yep. then it will pay very well for you to have another one. And, you know, as I said in my book, that the reason why population, uh, why the uh, fertility rate came down so fast is because children went from being a, an asset to a liability. Mm -hmm. On the farm, you need 15 people to work yep. on the farm. And in uh, our society, even two may bankrupt you if they go to, to, to private colleges. Right. Uh, and in fact, children have become a consumption good. They've become a consumption good. And, and when, if you really think of them that way, you probably shouldn't have them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it becomes a hobby. And you, does your book uh, factor in, 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 the, uh, in the 54 million that were aborted, or no? You don't even touch that issue. I don't touch the issue because I figure that people will have the number of children that they want to have by either through abortion, which obviously is less desirable, or birth control, which usually works pretty darn well, yep. uh, or by not marrying and not having sex or whatever the 
uh, flavor of the day is for, for deciding how many children to have. But uh, people do control this, and, and I would like to see uh, birth rates turn up in the, you know, in the more advanced countries because I think that we produce a lot uh, that's of value, and I think that our children and grandchildren could if they could manage to get born. But I can't make it happen. Yeah, yeah. it used to be a joy to have children. It used to be a, an example of grace well, my, and blessings. My daughter, we're having a grandchild. She's having kids. She's 30, 30 years old or so. And she's having her first child? Yeah. Well, that means she's that she's taking through... way too long. <laughs> well, you know, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No. That's the problem. No, that's not a problem. You can I, still had my, have... I had my first at she... 26. Of course, it wasn't my decision, but well, yeah. Well, there you go. Well, no, no. You you can still have two or three or four, even four children if you start you got to speed 30. it up. You gotta yeah, get yeah, kinky. You yeah. gotta get. Uh, I don't know if these Vidal's are kinky enough to do no, this. No, no. You gotta turn it up a notch. No. You gotta. You know. You gotta tell your. Uh, well, you gotta yeah. invite me over for dinner, and I'll make sure your your daughter understands. Right, we'll, what, see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. See. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so we'll, you're gonna buy the book first, right? And then you're gonna give it to me, and I'll do the cliff notes. Is we'll have it? you. We'll have you on when your book comes out. We'll we'll keep bugging you about these things. Now, one thing we were talking uh, to Carl about was. That he thinks that there's going to be some correction, uh, but he's not sure when. What, what's your view on? I mean, I think it was Herb Stein, uh, uh, an economist for Nixon, who said that something that cannot go on forever doesn't. That's right. When do you, when do you think uh, something uh, things will start blowing up? Well, which things? I mean, the stock the market the, the deficit. Now. Uh, we've already seen some head fakes. Right. In terms of macro. Um, these things, uh, the, the Stein's second rule, and I'm making this up, is that whatever you think cannot go on forever will go on twice as long as right. you think it will, and then will correct twice as fast. Well, for example, we've had some indications that the uh, yield curve was inverting a couple of weeks ago, and then the market was uh, w- was reluctant to, and then the the trade uh, the trade issues hurt the market. But now the trade issue has been resolved, so the market is up last week and this week. Uh, but you know, where, where do you see that? Um, where do you see that shaking out in the next couple of years? Well, it wouldn't surprise me if the market was in the same place in a couple of years or lower than it is right now, just because it's gone up a lot. Yeah, I don't think that there's any bad news inherent in the in the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can get past these trade wars and, and right. Which is just stupidity. Uh, I, will, I, I think that the economy is basically sound, but that that is already priced in. So I wouldn't be looking for increases right. in the market. I would, I'm, you know, cutting back in, in equity exposure. And the thing is, there's nothing else to buy. So yeah, and there's nowhere else to go either. You put the money in the United States when the world is turbulent. Everybody does. They flock to the United States market. All the foreign yep. investors come here, and I think Americans yep. have that embedded in their. Foreign so, policy, Larry. Do you so? So you think that the tax cuts and the uh, deregulation that the Trumpster is is pushing through are, are worthwhile? Yes, I, I like those policies. I, I refer to them as generic Republican stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Bush would have done it. Mitt Romney would have done it. Oh my God! Um, but I don't think that uh, the with combi- like combining this sort of libertarian approach to taxation and, and, and regulation with an anti-libertarian approach to trade and immigration, <laughs> you, you just get a muddle. You get something that it, it doesn't, it doesn't have, it's not a coherent policy. It's doing what feels like a good idea at the time based on Donald Trump's 
prior history as a kind of a negotiator in the real estate business where yep. conditions are very different than they are in world politics. But why wouldn't he, why shouldn't we after having so many pre- presidents not really paying attention to China's abuse of our trade deals, why shouldn't we pick a fight with them and try to get Americans to start manufacturing here again, even if it takes yeah, I mean, know, a China, long time? China is a tough argument to say we should continue what we're doing. What do, where do you stand on that? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm supposed to be writing a paper on China right now. All right. Well, what right. are you going to tell us? Uh, the client is very bullish on China. Okay. They believe that China is changing from an export oriented to a domestic consumer economy and that we're, uh, we in the West just don't understand what's going on there because we're relying on the Western mainstream news media mm-hmm. to tell us uh, you know, how, how badly they're treating us. But uh, the, the evidence that I'm seeing is that there is something to that that they haven't been completely open and fair dealers. Well, they don't even sell our products over there. They, they yeah, really restrict sure. how much we can sell there. Yeah. Right. right. They restrict how much we can sell there. We don't restrict how much they can sell here. The, the question is whether we're better off allowing that to continue to happen or to do something about it. When we do something about it, we're imposing a, a tax on ourselves mm-hmm. to try to... Um, which is the tariff. The tariff is just Yeah, obviously we pay, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we pay to get them to go away and force us to buy higher yep. price products from somebody yep. else. And, the, you know, I studied with Milton Friedman, uh, who said that unilateral free trade is a better policy right. than no free trade because it, you get one side of the benefit, yeah. and, but, which, is, which is cheap goods. And, you know, poor people really like the stuff they're buying at. Walmart for next to nothing. Yeah, but no, there aren't there aren't a sustainable jobs. They need to have jobs to go to Walmart. There's too many low buy. skilled people and more coming see, with this open border. See, Trump Trump doesn't think like an economist. He thinks like a businessman, and he's the CEO of America. That's and, that's exactly what he's doing. Yes. Yeah. Is that a good? Is that good or bad? I'm not going to uh, really. <laughs> we're not going to know for twenty years. Yep. You know, it took 20, it took a while to figure out what a great man Ronald Reagan was. Yes, he was great. It was gave us two huge recessions, um, but I uh, I would like to think that China, you know, China is just a country, and the company the companies that we're investing in in China are just companies. They're subject to the same uh, caveats as any other company, which is that the uh, insiders try to rake off all the uh, profits before the shareholders get any, but they can't do that and keep the share price up. And so they're they're subject to capitalist incentives, even though they sit under a communist flag. Well, but you also got to factor in the fact that they're going to oppress their laborers for centuries, and we can't oppress our laborers for more than a year. So it, when it comes to push to shove, and the Chinese really want to play ball, they can hurt the United States really bad because they don't really fear Tiananmen Square like we would fear our own Tiananmen Square. So you know, they bring out the tanks, they gun everybody down, everybody stays quiet, stay low, and the United States can have labor strikes in infinitum. Yeah, but we don't have that anymore. We're, we're through. That's not true. It can happen tomorrow. Yes, you can. You can have a... Just we a, have an awful lot of low-paid workers, and they're not on strike. Mostly they're trying to get... Uh, uh, 
Keep pay the rent, <laughs> or, or they can supplement their income with food stamps and housing subsidies, and so ah, on. Ah, you guys, you guys are painting that with a broad brush, like it's really yeah. simple. The United States cannot squeeze its its laborers like China. Well, not like China. You're right. I mean, we're talking fifty dollars a month as opposed to uh, an American worker getting fifty dollars every two hours. So it's a big difference, and that's my fear: is that if China really wants to squeeze the United States, I don't, I don't see. Why they want the headache? Just give us a little bit more of what we gave you for the last thirty years, and let's be done with it. I'm sure if China offers any type of decent deal, Trump would be dying, dying to end this trade deal, just in time for his reelection. Don't you think? Yeah, I actually think that's what's going to happen. Uh, Trump has uh, been taking a, has been adopting a policy, or it's not a policy, it's a tactic of going to the extreme and saying. Stuff that's designed to scare the other, uh, the counterparty in the deal into thinking that he's uh, a really bad guy, and then they back down, and then he backs down, and we get some sort of a, a resolution. So I actually think that he may achieve what he's trying to achieve with China, and I've heard Chinese people say that what Trump is doing is actually good for China because it's bringing them into the uh, the global economy in a in a rational way. Uh, I don't think they oppress their people exactly the way you're saying. That that was 30 years ago, and it's a different country now, a different. Uh, yeah, but there, I mean, when I, uh, oppression can also take on different faces. You don't necessarily have to see beatings to find people oppressed. You can oppression could simply be eliminating whole regions from entering uh, regions where there's manufacturing and assembly lines yeah. and they're forcing people to live in ag- the Uyghurs in the in their far west well i'm not even talking about that i'm talking about forcing uh, uh, millions and millions of people to be agricultural societies they don't even let them appro- uh, into the cities to even look for a no, job they, they ha- they that's are, oppression they, they have been letting people into the cities that's why they need to create yeah, but more of jobs. their choosing at the numbers they choose uh, they hand pick them uh, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of caste type systems in china that that are oppressive in nature, and we would never even know about them. So, you know, I guess these conversations will have to go on further. Larry, well, Larry, we'll have to have you back when your book comes out. When is that? September? October 22nd. Okay. Uh, you know, the publishers are, are slower than they say they are, so uh, you, I'm going to guess that that's really November. Right. And I, I was hoping you would say October the 11th on my birthday. Oh, But, you know, you never know. We might, be, uh, we might have a little bit of a financial... Blow up by then. Yeah, between now and then, right, we can expect some volatility, and we'll have more to talk about. Great. Another October surprise. All right. Well, thank you very much for the call. The Concrete thank Conservatives, you. you're listening to WSQF 94.5. Thank you. So uh, I got a, I just got a text from John Dolan. Is he trying to get on the air here? Not today. We uh, got, so we're just, booked. We're, this is uh, you know, high, high cost. Uh, yeah, High cost. Everybody uh, wants to address. talk to me. Go Absolutely. ahead and say it. Yep. Everybody wants to meet me. Go ahead, say it. Yeah, well, everybody wants to call in. There's going to be uh, next week, we're going to have a, a caller, a Polish philosopher, who uh, wrote a book on how some of the components of. Is it a co- Polish book or one or two pages? No, it's or? in English. He's, he's fluent in English. I, I hope he'll talk to us. But he, he wrote a book about how he sees in contemporary democracies, both in Europe and in America, how there is a real thrust to bring in components of the old communist system, particularly in the question of silencing dissenters. 
the whole free speech uh, and how it's supposed on oh, campus. Yeah, I got my second uh, Facebook suspension. Yeah, there you go. Facebook Three days. Suspension. You can talk to him. So he was going to give a talk on this at Middlebury College. Now that you know, uh, a you know, it's ago. a code of honor now to be suspended by Facebook. Yeah. Uh, most of my conservative friends love, I'm, as I've learned. I'm not even on Facebook yeah. or, or Twitter. Yeah. So he's going to well, talk Twitter, about I've that. been banned from Twitter for, I don't know, two years now. I keep on tweeting, but nobody's listening. They, they've cut you off? Man, no comments, no likes, nothing. They're just shadow, shadow uh, banning either that you. Or, or, either that or I'm really, really pathetic tweeter. And no, since, no, uh, no. since I refuse to admit that, um, I'm amazed. Um I'm amazed that uh, that I had I have no traction on Twitter. By the way, I'm Mac and the Rock instead of Mac on the Rock. So if you want to help me on Twitter, get, get out of this Twitter rut. No, I, I'd say uh, that's be- not. become a a follower of mine. I don't think I have any followers. I haven't gone into my Twitter account in quite some time, but for two years I was tweeting, 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 and I was, you know, I speak cryptically often. So excuse me if you don't understand. But I believe there's meaning in just about everything I tweet. And I don't want to tweet like everybody else, nor do I go around pushing other people's links either. I either tweet how I come across here on the radio or I don't tweet at all. And I'm trying to get people to uh, think not just outside the box, but on the right side of the box. But principally, I want people to think out of a bigger box. And nobody wants to talk about the size of the box. Everybody wants to say, oh, you think outside the box. Well, guess what? I think outside of the bigger box on the right side of history. And that's... The right side of history? You think history has a side? I believe it does. There's a right and a wrong side of history. Oh, the wrong side. We have a wrong side of history that we seem to be living all the time. Well, one thing that is amazing is somebody like Bernie Sanders, when he's Wrong side of history. When he's confronted with the social democratic socialism in Venezuela, he says, oh, that's not how I would do it. Same thing with uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York. He was on, I think, on The View. And somebody said, well, you know, you want single-payer health care. That's the veteran administration system, and it doesn't work. It sucks. And he said, oh, no, we would run it better. Better. It's like, we'll do it better. Better from the butt. It's like uh, Hugo Chavez said, well, our democratic socialism is not going to be ugly like the one in Russia or violent. Notice how they exclude Cubans. Well, right, right, right. Well, that's because he had Cubans all over his. He, the, Cubans hey. are all over that administration in Venezuela. Yeah, I, I, I go, I go make the statement, and the statement is ironclad. I repeat it all over and over. America denied its own manifest destiny, excluding Cuba from it. You see it in the twenty-five million illegals here, and right. a totally destabilized and corrupt Latin American well, economy. Think, Time out. Yeah, that's not dollarized yet. And it the perfect opportunity dollarized. to fight with China right now is right now to, for Anglo-America's. Chamber of Commerce to realize, my God, forge the greatest economic union man has ever known well, between North and South America, just in freshwater resources alone. Well, I, I agree that uh, when the Kennedy administration uh, abrogated the Monroe Doctrine in, in the case of Cuba in 1961-62, that has had repercussions to America that it, they didn't realize they were having. And I agree that the whole immigration crisis... It all started crisis, with the election of 1960 that was stolen yes, from Richard Chicago Nixon. Yes, in Chicago and in Duval County, Texas. Disgusting. Yep. So, so there's a price to be paid. There's a price for that, and there's a price for uh, the re- revocation, the abrogation of the Monroe Doctrine, which was there for a good reason. But wait a second. If you say that, you, you're forgetting the fact that 
that could not have been the reason for Kennedy's decision because the Platt Amendment, I don't know about the, the Treaty of Relations of 1934. There was a lot of things going on that got rid of the Monroe Doctrine. Now well, the philosophy of America staying as an imposing force, in a foreign power into the Western Hemisphere. Western, how about 90 hemisphere, like well, Interstate 95? That, that is contrary. Even James Monroe in 1823 saw that it should be the policy of the United States. To keep the European powers away from the Western Hemisphere, collecting debts, and, yes. and and you know whatever they were doing the, during the Civil War, France invaded Mexico. Then they had to be gotten out. Uh, uh, the, after the Kennedy, after the Lincoln administration, uh, Seward, Secretary of State Seward, bought Alaska in part to get Russia out of the Western Hemisphere. So they were you know boxed out, and they were let back in in 1961. Today in Venezuela, you have not only Cuban imperialism, but you also have Russian imperialism, Iranian? Chi- Chinese imperialism, and Iranian imperialism. Well, you just gave me a perfect segue. What is for that segue? something I talked about called CantonCuba.com. Cuban uh, economic development? By the Chinese in exchange for a free Taiwan. If we want to keep Taiwan, those islands are put there for a reason. When we threaten well, Taiwan, the liberty of Taiwan, the United States will have to fold its tent and give China... Cuba for no, its own. I don't think that's, well, that makes sense to, to hoof, think that we can make a trade. Why not? Because do we want Taiwan that bad? Well, I think we want to uphold uh, navigation in the South China Sea. So and we'll give up Taiwan, Taiwan, or we won't. We won't. We won't. Therefore, they'll get Cuba. Who are they going to get Cuba? They can't get Cuba. Well, they There's already own both get. sides of the Panama Canal. They're already building. They're, they're, yes. They're already building a massive industrial park at ZEDM, which is in Mariel, the Port of Mariel, 128 well, we'll square miles. We'll see where that goes. Uh, so pretty much I've answered your questions and your doubts. They will get Cuba. They're owed right now by only by my research, $4 billion. I imagine that number is double. And Mariel is a submarine base. Therefore, deep, deep, deep freighters can go in and out there very nicely, geographically perfect, as William McKinley. So where are they going to go? They're going to the build. They're going to build. Hell, they cut their five thousand kilometers from United States. They cut it down to eleven hundred miles to the port of New Orleans, and don't even need the Panama Canal. Mm-hmm. They just build the manufacturing. So you facility. think Cuba will become a manufacturing base Hub. for China? Absolutely. In the Western Hemisphere. Absolutely. All right. And well. that explains why they're putting up all that money now. Now, for those who don't believe me, go to cantoncuba.com, see my story, connect all the dots. Cuba, coincidentally, is 110 miles from the United States, and Taiwan is 110 miles from mainland China. Now, go figure. So, chances are I'm going to be right. Unfortunately, I'm going to be be too old and too demented with Alzheimer's for anybody to tell me, hey, you were right. Wow, I can't believe you wrote that back in 2012. you got to publish it. Why did having in paper mean so much to you? Because you want the smell of paper because you're an old Barnes & Noble junkie. Uh, Yes, and uh, also Gary Hoover would like to have a copy of your book. He actually said that? Wow, I'm not going to... If you autograph it and send it to him in Flatonia, Texas... He'll put it in his library. Wow, so it could be one of the 50,000 that no, he read. He'll be in you know, the, the great, great. He'll read, uh, it, <laughs> read it in seven or eight minutes, like he says. Yes, he'll digest it. Well, Adam Levinson, a Democrat, I suspect, is fittingly. Editing your book? Proofreading and editing Cur- a book. Curate, that be? Curating your book. Yeah, he promised me he wouldn't change anything. And quite frankly, 
Well, you notice ever since he started doing that, he hasn't been able to, to <laughs> call in for the uh, Statues and Stories. Yes, uh, Statues and Stories creator uh, has been missing ever since I asked him to, uh, and he said nicely that he would do it, just give him plenty of time. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, it's online at thefiscals.com, by the way. And uh, for it to be printed, I need someone to proofread it. I, I know there's typos in there. I have a syntax problem because, you know, I graduated GED. I didn't. Oh, yeah? You know, I graduated by exam. That's fine, however you do it. I passed it first time out. I thought it was great. Um, I seem to pass everything by the nick of my chinny-chin-chin. That's okay, as long as you're I also done. passed a real estate exam by one point. How about there that? Go. I got my real estate license by one point. You still have it? I still have it. So you, you think that uh, real estate brokers should be licensed by the state occupational licensing? I, quite frankly, find it all licensing rude. I'm a mm. Morton Freeman kind of... Okay, okay. I don't think doctors should be licensed either, but uh, uh, attorneys are the only ones that should be licensed. Okay. They should have to take their exam every 25 hours. Every oh, day, come on. four or five times a week, they should have to take a bar exam, uh, quite frankly. But real estate license, uh, I don't think so. The problem is it's getting paid is hard if there isn't a licensing. Okay. There has to be some kind of ethical, unsat, unsat, you know, sad to say, there ha- there has to be some truth to bear to get your commissions paid, because there wasn't a licensing and a board that can actually suppress a broker who's not paying his agents or getting the buyer and seller to play trickery and not pay commissions at all. Mm-hmm. I think having real estate licenses does create uh, the standard real estate law that. Real estate commissions come out of closings. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think a lot of people would get screwed. And that's the truth because it's probably the most important thing in our society is a buyer or seller meeting as a result of somebody who just had these two people meet. Mm-hmm. And that, that really is deserving of a commission. What do you think of these negative interest rates and their effect on the real estate market in Florida? It falsifies the, the economy. In Miami, we don't see it because so much money comes from abroad. Mm-hmm. But Trump's tax cuts created the the newbies to come back from the north to come right. back to Florida. Right. As people move to Florida, some eight hundred people a day. Obviously, a a place like Key Biscayne hasn't seen Anglo investment in a long time, and now it's starting to show its face again. From the northeast, from Connecticut, I just can tell New here York, locally. New yeah, Jersey. I'm, I'm seeing a lot more Americans enjoying Key Biscayne, and uh, before. For the last 20 years, I've only seen... So are they moving to continue working, or are they just... Nah, there are people you can tell that are li- liquid people already. Okay. They're not looking for a job. They're not... They just... They're buying a home and enjoying themselves. Um, we have, for instance, the founders, uh, the heir to the Bic, Penn right. Fortune from France. Yep. Um, you know, I'm... He's here. That's People French. come here from not just from the north states well, and from Latin America. Well, the point America, I'm making is Europe. that French is showing up now. Yeah, Spain Europeans. Is, Europeans. Spain for the last 10 years. But not in great enough numbers for me to say that they are exceeding others. Mm-hmm. The, the kings are still Venezuelans. Uh, Brazilians? Argentines? Renting. Okay. Brazilian buying to some degree. Mm-hmm. But Argentines are basically renting. Mm-hmm. They're not really... Purchasing. Uh, Venezuelans are renting and purchasing. Mm-hmm. Colombians are definitely purchasing. 
remember you also had Nicaraguans during right, the, right, during right. the well the, now things are bad in Nicaragua again so once again so but I think Nicaraguans do that in their heart mm. because they never really left okay. they stayed in Key Biscayne they tried to manage their businesses over there but I think they understood that it was short lived plus they also understood that Cuban exiles in Miami mm-hmm. fought more for their freedom <laughs> than Nicaraguans did are there many Mexicans in uh, Mexicans in, have shown up as well 15 yeah. years now Running, but high uh, high net worth folks, high net worth Mexicans, not middle class Mexicans. High, mm-hmm. high net worth. Uh, again, they're they're probably here for, you know, because they're buying assets in the states, not really because of political reasons or instability. Where that is the case in Venezuela, obviously, and Colombia that was originally the case, as it was Venezuela mm-hmm. in the seventies and eighties because of political strife and hyperinflation, stuff like that. In Colombia now, it's a, a, a it's, I don't know, a, a convenience, uh, mm-hmm. something they just like. I mean, you also always have to factor a in Miami. safety valve. Yes. Uh, Miami's always going to be that. After us Cubans came in here and burned the trail, when I say us, it's only out of convenience, because mm-hmm. I was born here in the United States. I want to make it very clear that I'm an American Cuban, not a Cuban-American. And my parents are Cuban-American, as Ed Vidal is victoriously a Cuban-American. Cuban-American, Texan, Floridian. Yep. Uh, who praises Tex- Texas more than Florida. And he will always be chastised for that. He, I noticed that his belt buckle is hasn't been shining in a long time, but it, nevertheless, it's a very large Texas star. So, you know, I, I get it. You know what I mean? So... Since I'm rambling and rambling and rambling, are we expecting another call? Yes, we're, we're going to have a call on uh, a Florida real estate issue, which is there was a guy in near Tampa, I think Dunedin. 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 Uh, that's where DeSantis was born. I Absolutely. Think they went to the Little I League. Think he, he was champion. He, was, um, he, he had to take care of his mother in South Carolina, so he left. Uh, he contracted with somebody to mow his lawn, and the person who who contracted to mow his lawn mow died. Down it, mow down his house. Died, and the the grass grew, and the city uh, foreclosed on his house. Oh, because of the. Uh, it was a it, there was a fine for letting your grass grow, and the city yeah, enforced the fine the by for, foreclosing on the house. So. Uh, we're going to have uh, a lawyer from uh, Ari Belger, who's a uh, Belger. Did the guy ever here. make a call to his greenskeeper to find out that he, he died? He did not. He came back, and uh, all this has happened. And so now the Institute for Justice is uh, defending I him. I find that really peculiar. You leave your home in Dunedin. Yep. And you leave so long, and did, uh, didn't you I don't wonder know. Well, when the guy— But does that mean that you should lose your house? Of course not. Well, that's the issue. And the government Florida... has never has the right to take anything. Nothing is theirs. Not even the roads— not even the taxes they're collecting. It's not theirs. It's ours. Well, It's always been that's, ours. That's the argument. So Ari will call in from the Institute for Justice, and uh, we'll, we'll see what the arguments are to try to save this guy's house and not have to— Le- Government liens should be statutory, imposed only upon the sale of the home. You can't foreclose on a lien. Just the person has to pay it when he dies, and the heirs sell and the home. And that's it? Period. No government has the right to take anything away from anybody, whether you pay them or not. You got to get me when I'm dead. All right. Well, you don't want to give them the wrong incentives, and they'll. Well, guess what? Hey, I got a gun. You mm-hmm. know, it's that's that simple. Back to the gun theory. But why should they allow to foreclose? 
No, I think that's that's excessive. Now, a bank has a right to foreclose because well, that they were they, uh, they put out well, money. Well, after the conversation we had today, perhaps now they don't have the right because they well, don't have the money they're lending you. Yeah, the, the problem <laughs> is that a lot of our banking today is is with funny money, made up money by the Federal Reserve. It's just it's not printed. It's just uh, entries on electronic entries. Uh, the other the other lender that Carl was talking about are the non bank lenders. Remind us who, who, for those who joined us late. Carl. Carl is an entrepreneur. He owns MarketTicker.com. He's in MarketTicker.com. And uh, he was pointing out that most banks are just lending funny money from the Federal Reserve. Uh, but they, they haven't even been given yet. Well, <laughs> but there are other lenders, non-bank lenders, and they're typically hedge funds, and they have investments from you know investors that put their money in hedge funds. The problem is that with interest rates so low, they everyone has an incentive to try to to, to look for, you know, to take on more risk so they get some yield. And that was uh, Ben Bernanke's idea, that if he kept interest rates low, then people would have to go buy stocks, for example, to try to, and, and that way is how he floated the, the stock market starting in March of 09 when things were really down. And, you know, the the the, the uh, Obama administration was coming in with policies that were not going to be good well, for the stock it, market. that's not... Although it seems rational, it doesn't yep. seem very genius. It just seems kind of obvious. But they did it, and the problem with that is you can't keep doing it forever. They did it. So, but they did they it. They protected and now, the Obama administration. Now we take, with that. But now we and that, and they held up the Obama administration. But now you can't keep doing that forever, and you can do it longer than you thought. So this is a perfect opportunity to slam Trump upside the head with this. Well, that's, since you but can't see, that get wouldn't, him, that wouldn't be fair to Trump. Wouldn't be. Yeah, and that's he, the issue. That's he scolded he, Powell. He scolded Powell, right, absolutely. Oh, you're going to do this to me? Are you kidding right. me? That's why I said the time to do it would be the day after he's reelected. And, you know, uh, but if he does that, it's going to have repercussions. If Powell lets the air out of the bag the day after Trump is reelected, it's going to have repercussions all over the world because Europe is in even worse shape. They have even longer and, and deeper negative interest rates. And... When they, you know, when when they're forced to let the air out of that bag, that's going to be a real mess. It's going to affect the whole world. I don't think East Asia or South Asia is in any better shape. Latin America, I mean, Argentina is not in good shape. They're totally out of control. Um, so Venezuela is not in good shape. Who? Venezuela. No, well, Venezuela, obviously. Uh, I say we forge ahead with my idea. Unify the economies. Well, they have to dollarize. They have to dollarize. Everybody's that. got to dollarize. Yep. I mean, our part of the world. And that includes, you, that includes you, Trudeau. Well, I don't know. The Canadians. Canada is only like 30 does million people. Does he look people. like Fidel Castro or not? I think he does. No, no, Trudeau. He, he's going to have a hard time getting reelected. I think uh, his government is under a lot of pressure. But, uh, no, I think uh, the whole the whole Western Hemisphere would benefit from dollarizing. And I think Venez- I don't see Venezuela doing anything else. Colombia, yeah, but the, but the Argentina. Idea, I mean, in, how in about the, Brazil, man, going bleeding a little bit for the Venezuelans on the condition that they unify their countries? Just Brazil grab a, a bigger chunk of the apple, and let's Brazilians. See if Harry is calling in to tell us about his case. This is WSQF ninety four five, the Concrete Conservative with. Victoria's Ed Vidal and Mac on the Rock. Who do I have the wonderful pleasure to speak with? This is Ari Bargill with the Institute for Justice. Thank well, you. Well, Ari, what's up? How are you doing? Who are you picking a fight with now? Uh, I've already picked a fight with the city of Dunedin, Florida. Oh, my God. 
You know, why aren't they smoking that grass and huh? cutting it and not foreclosing on the guy? I'm sorry? Why aren't they smoking that grass that's overgrown in his lawn instead of foreclosing on that guy? Oh, he got cut off. I think he was. Uh, I don't think. Uh, I don't think you like my joke. You hung up. <laughs> uh, quick, uh, there was a, a little disconnection there, but I'm back. We should be good now. Actually, uh, there was probably car accidents on the street. Everybody's like, "What? What happened? Oh my God! The the Mac caused a car crash." So, oh. so, Ari, what's oh. happening with that city of Dunedin? I mean. Give me a break. The the lawn is overgrown for two months, and they take over the guy's house? Uh, that's what they're trying to do. So we, we filed a lawsuit hoping to uh, to stave off any foreclosure action. But what essentially happened is to go to South Carolina to uh, attend to his late mother's affairs. Uh, while he was gone, his lawn man and friend died unexpectedly uh, <laughs> and left the grass to grow. Yeah. Uh, by the time Jim got back and ultimately found out that the city had been fining him without any notice while he was away, Jim already owed them $24,000. Wow. So how much th- let the audience know how much $500 a day. Let the audience know how much time had elapsed. 2 months. Um originally about 48 days went by That's at $500 a day, so that was about $24,000 that he owed. He cut it um and then had to leave town again. He did leave someone in charge, someone someone else this time, to cut the grass while he was gone. Better health, I hope. Said that the grass, city said that the grass grew another 10 inches in eight days, and they started finding him again. So, all told, between the two alleged violations, um, they're saying that he owes uh, 29000 and change, which by now, including interest, is, I'm sure, over $30,000. So, because Jim can't pay that, they told him that they're going to foreclose on his house. Okay, so thank God for people like yourself who could go in there and step in and fight this. Now, what statutes in the state of Florida allow a municipality to charge $500 a day for not cutting grass? Where can that be? There is a, there, there is a statute that allows you to charge $500 a day, a maximum of $500 a day, if someone's considered a repeat violator. But this is something that's really only in place for slumlords and abandoned buildings and people who are really uh, owning and, and failing to uh, maintain nuisance properties. Um, it's not intended for average homeowners uh, who've only left town for a short period of time, but that's exactly what the city of Dunedin is doing. And so we're bringing a lawsuit alleging that the fines against Jim are a violation of the excessive fines clause of the Eighth Amendment uh, because they're disproportionate to his offense which is merely letting grass grow too long for a few weeks over the summer. Did any of the uh, neighbors complain? Um, The city says that they got an anonymous complaint, but we've not seen any evidence of that. So nobody's really complained? It's just the city kind of taking the opportunity to grab some money? Not not Uh, only... That's true. We have no evidence of any complaint. The people in the neighborhood and in the city of Dunedin seem overwhelmingly supportive. In fact, a lot of people have called us and said, hey, you know, something similar happened to me. But ultimately, it's just like you said, um, this is an opportunity for the city to perhaps rack up a big bill and then to go after Jim to collect on it. I mean, bear in mind, the city's ordinances empower the city to, to hire a contractor. 
contractor and mow Jim's lawn and send him a bill for 150 bucks. <laughs> See that? that, that. They that's, should have done that. That's what. That's where you. That's uh, where you win your case, right there. Yeah, they didn't. They 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 went for the most costly method of, of solving this. Now, does this go before uh, uh, the council or the board of commissioner, or does it go straight to just some idiot? Uh, you know, at z- building and zoning. Yeah, or the city manager, I suppose. So ultimately, violations are decided by the town's code enforcement board. Um, they get a, uh, a recommendation and a, an explanation of the case from the code enforcement officer, who's basically a person who drives around the city um, in a city vehicle and makes note of whether your property is compliant with any one of the city's myriad codes. Does he have a um, quota, or is there a revenue and, target? And this is the, they, they allege that Jim's grass is too tall. Yep. And they started finding him immediately without even telling him. Does, he have, does, that, does that officer have a quota or a revenue target in the city's budget? We don't know that yet, but it certainly seems to be the case that the city is itself right. um, fairly fairly uh, enamored of, of the idea of generating revenue through code enforcement. Um, in the last decade, the amount of money they've collected in fines and fees Yeah. Exponentially, so there's definitely uh, some sort of a profit incentive here, or appears to be on the part of the city. Uh, can you lower uh, your AC vent? I think your AC vent's going into your phone because we're hearing like a, a wind or a whisper, or your window's down or something. Okay, I'll try. It's pretty hot out, though, guys. <laughs> you know, well, you know that the the city, the state, is always a predator, but this city is really out of control. Um, they're really going after him. You know, they, they've said that he's a guy who is constantly in violation of all the various codes, but um, the truth is that Jim has never been fined once before this. Wow. Does he have? Is the house painted and everything else looking pretty, or is the house kind of dilapidated and, that, and that's annoying somebody? Um, none of the above. I think Jim will be the first to tell you. That's the name of our client, Jim Sicken. He'll be the first to tell you that his, his house maybe doesn't belong on the cover of Better Homes and Gardens. All right, well, so uh, what? But that, that doesn't mean that he's a criminal and he should he should lose his house either. Right. Yeah, Dunedin, what population are we talking here? What type of town? Because we live here in 15,000 with only 5,000 registered voters. Here in the Key, we're 15,000 total, but not all of us live here at, at any particular time. We have about 8,000 live full-time here. That includes children. And of that, only five thousand vote for a forty million dollar so pot. Dunedin is what's how big? The, what's that in comparison to Dunedin? I think it's about the same size. Dunedin is a is a smaller town. It's it's part of the the, the Tampa metropolitan area, so um, it's it's got a you know it's, it's in a sort of bustling area. But the town itself is not very big. Yeah. So yeah, I could see them acting like idiots. Uh, I've seen that here locally. I, you know, you get elected, and all of a sudden, you start thinking differently than you did but before I, I you got elected. But I see a real revenue uh, purpose here. They're looking to raise money. If they, you know, like they could have avoided this problem. Now by he, Jim a, himself, a uh, what did he do for a living before he went to go help his mom? Uh, Jim, Jim has been retired for a while. He's almost seventy. Yeah, so he's not upsetting anybody. He's not. He wasn't an ex-employee of any particular employer or city. No. So he's just a nice, no. a nice, fine American no, just getting abused. I think abused. this is a municipality that is looking for revenue. They could have avoided this problem by hiring a lawnmower and paid 150 and sent Bill the check. But no, they the went bill. for yeah the bill right. But but uh, instead they went and after uh, 
you know, enforcing their regulations. They're they're doing it's the same thing as red light cameras. You know, there's yes, it's certainly it's it's like with red light cameras where where you can argue, I think pretty pretty correctly, you can argue that um, the the city's interest in health and safety is outweighed by its desire to collect revenue. I think it's pretty obvious here that the city prioritizes revenue collection over code compliance because if they cared that much and if they were worried about what a menace Jim was to his community, um, they probably would have done, as you say, they probably would have hired a, uh, a contractor to just go out there and mow the lawn. But yeah. they didn't do that because that's not really what they're interested in. So that so that's the angle of your case, basically. It, uh, you have to show the city's uh, mal, malintent. Well, yeah, and also I think you should do some Freedom of Information Act discovery because what I've seen in, in other cases in cities like in Houston where they had quotas for police officers to, to hand out tickets. And uh, that was found through Freedom of Information Act. So you might just look at, uh, you know, find out what their what their practices are in terms of enforcing code violations, because it looks like they're using it to uh, raise money. Well, we certainly intend through the discovery process now that we're in litigation to get to get a, a lot of information from the city are you in, uh, regarding how it enforces its code. Are you in federal or state court? We filed in state court, but we are now in federal court. They removed us to federal court um, because we've brought federal claims, which they can do, and and uh, which we're ready to we're ready to fight in any forum. Well, you know, it, it, just because you're a state court doesn't mean you don't have to. You can't enforce federal law. I mean, right? But we're, we're as I said, we're in federal court. Okay. No, I know you're in federal court filed, now. Uh, so they're the ones that moved court, you to federal uh, court. The, the, sorry. The defendant moved to have it moved to federal court. That's right. So they figure they'll get a better deal in federal court? Um, that could be what, you know, it would be speculative for me to say why they did or didn't uh, do something. But, uh, you know, certainly they didn't move it there because they thought it, it decreased their chances of winning. I guess that's probably safe to say. All right. Well, good luck. Now, uh, what became of the red light case? Is that still pending? The red light uh, camera case? I, I, I'm not sure if I'm familiar with the case. We don't currently have a red light case. I was just using that as an example yeah. of, mm. of an instance where... Yeah. Well, because I got a personal uh, gripe with red light cameras. Yeah. And in the great state of Texas, red lights have been uh, canceled all over the state. Thank Le- God. Legislative action this year. It's disgusting because the red light camera cases can't prove that you're driving your car. You could loan yeah. your car out and your car can't get a ticket because you didn't pass well, the red light. The car did. Gentlemen. Gentlemen, not only not only can they not prove that you weren't driving the car, um, studies have shown that those red light cameras, which are you know ostensibly in place to keep us all safe, increase accidents because when people see them, instead of going through yellow lights, they slam on their brakes and they get rear-ended. Right. So not yep. only not only are they are they you know unconstitutional probably for a, a slew of other reasons, um, they're they're also not effective at doing the one thing that they're supposed to do. I'm happy you said that because that's happened to me. Uh-oh. You what? got rear-ended? No, I didn't get the rear end, but I created the scourge and the scream and the beeps. So the next time, to avoid that situation, it prompted me to go through, and I get the ticket. You got the ticket. Yeah. And then, it, well, I, I went and objected to the ticket, but they, you know, they put a lien on my uh, license renewal, so I had to pay at the end. Bingo. Of the- <laughs> see that? Yeah. Uh, in, in my case, they, they could see clearly... The tire over the the white stripe. Yeah, no, no, yeah, that's. Yeah, it's. Uh, there's nothing you can say about it. But again, there's no sign of me. There's no proof that I'm in the car. 
although I have disclosed it over the air to 160,000 people here on Blink Radio. But other than that, I paid the ticket. What else am I going to do? There's nothing else you can well, do. I, I, I went to court at the, at the county hearing, and uh, I objected. But, you know, they put a lien on my uh, license renewal, and there was nothing you could do. Well, you can flee to Texas. How come you don't talk about Texas in those cases? Well, I, I, you talk I told you, him I did. I told him I had moved from Texas where they had gotten you rid sing, of See light. how he sings Texas praises throughout the show, but when it, came, when it came time to being a fugitive, he didn't fly to Texas? Yep. Well, I'm not, not a fugitive. You're not a fugitive, yeah, because you paid it, right? Well, yep. Ari, what else you got going on? There's uh, the Danina case. Is there anything else that's uh, you know really cool that our audience would like uh, to know? Because I like that one. We're always working on stuff, on new stuff. I mean, a lot of what we're doing now is, is focusing on um, the fines and fees type of case that, that I just described in Dunedin. We've sued the city of Chicago over its uh, unconstitutional um, impound racket. Oh, yeah. um, we're continuing to try to capitalize on our recent U.S. Supreme Court victory in uh, Tim's v. Indiana, which was a case in which the... Uh, United States Supreme Court ruled unanimously that the Eighth Amendment's excessive fines clause applies to the state. So we're, we're working pretty diligently to preserve liberty uh, whenever and wherever. Well, tell our audience a little bit about the Institute for Justice. Right? No, not the organization. Amendment, the, uh, the, uh, the Eighth Amendment applying to the states. Why wasn't that obvious? Um, that's a very good question, and there, there are a lot of folks who think that it was kind of a given um, that it should have always been applied to the states. But remember, the Bill of Rights and the first ten amendments um, were, were written with the intention of only applying to the federal government. And after the Civil War and in Reconstruction, um, through the 14th Amendment, the Privileges or Immunities Clause specifically, um, the, uh, the, the framers intended to have the... Um, sorry, I just walked in the door. Um, intended to have the entire Bill of Rights applied against the state. That was kind of the whole point of the Civil War. Um, but throughout history, it's taken, you know, uh, a lot of Supreme Court cases um, to do what's called incorporation, where the court has, uh, you know, specifically said that this applies against the states and that applies against the states with respect to all of the first ten amendments. And that was just uh, for a very long time, an open question of constitutional law. I think, I think uh, a long time ago, the U.S. Supreme Court said that the cruel and unusual punishment clause of the Eighth Amendment, which many of us are familiar with, um, did apply against the states, and that states couldn't have unconstitutionally cruel and unusual execution practices um, in their criminal justice systems. But it, it was kind of a, an open question for a long time about whether or not the excessive fines clause applied against the states. So in terms of the Indiana, the, the Indiana Supreme Court actually originally said, hey, we understand that you've brought this excessive fines argument um, in state court, but guess what? The, uh, the excessive fines clause of the Eighth Amendment doesn't, doesn't apply to us. And until the Supreme Court says otherwise, we're not going to entertain your claim. So we brought that to the U.S. Supreme Court, who said, uh, yes, it does apply against the states. And that case is now on remand as we're trying to get Tyson Tim's uh, his truck back because he forfeited or the, the state seized uh, essentially a $40,000 vehicle um, for the small crime of selling a, a small amount of drugs in the car. Now, um, let the audience know, you said it's in the state of like an appeal, a remind, what'd you say? Remanded. For, remanded, yeah. remanded. For us legal people who are not legal, I mean, I'm, sure. I am legal, but um, I'm not an illegal. I just didn't understand the term. Sure. What is it you meant? Sent back I'll, to I'll court. Explain. I'm happy to explain. So, following uh, the U.S. Supreme Court's decision, 
which said that the excessive fines clause applies against the states. They didn't then ultimately resolve the, the broader question of whether the fine at issue was, in fact, unconstitutional. They sent it back down, what's known as a remand. They sent it back to the Indiana state court system for them to decide, okay, now that the U.S. Supreme Court has corrected our previous mistake, now we get to go in and decide whether or not this fine is so do, excessive under the Eighth Amendment. So do you think that the civil asset forfeiture um, trend is, uh, is being reversed? Um, no, I mean, we're fighting against the civil asset forfeiture machine all over the country, and we're going to continue to do that. Um, and states are reforming their laws, Florida okay. being one of them, uh, the legislative session before this most recent one. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if I would say that the trend is being reversed. It's still hugely problematic. The state and federal government are still collecting massive, massive amounts of money uh, from people through forfeiture without ever having convicted them of a crime. And that's, that's incredibly problematic. And as long as $1 is being seized, civil asset forfeiture without people being convicted of crimes. Well, that's Um, one thing that uh, uh, the former Attorney General of the U.S. uh, Sessions was kind of a friend of civil asset forfeiture. That's right. Uh, Many of these sort of drug warrior types um, see this as a a really effective way to go after um, drug kingpins. Right. um, Or at least that's how it's touted. In reality, the average seizure is in the, in the, the low hundreds of dollars or less, depending on where you are. And so this isn't, you know, we're not going after the El Chapos of the world and seizing 40, 50, 60 million dollars a clip. It's, it's, it's regular folks like you and I who are getting pulled over on the side of the road and shaken down yeah. by highway control. I don't That's see cool. how they can That's take cool. your property without a conviction. I'm sorry? I don't see, there, there's no basis for the state to take your property without a conviction. Well, then I've already convinced you. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Nonetheless, that's how civil asset forfeiture works. That's, yep. that's precisely how it works. There's no conviction. Not only is there no conviction, in many instances, you don't even need to be charged with a crime. Wow. That's wow, that's, terrible. In, that's incredible. That's theft. Of course, like all government, all government loves to steal. They also love to lie. And so do those who get elected to allow government to steal and lie. Now, is uh, uh, when the Supreme Court declared corporations as persons, when it came to campaign contributions, and PAC money, does that open up a can of worms that corporations can also fall under these type of laws where they try to not to forfeit? civil asset forfeiture. Yeah. Yeah. Could they be subject to civil asset forfeiture now that they're declared as persons, or they're not one and the same? Well, corporate personhood is sort of a separate issue. I think it is the case that government um, can and does these assets from corporate entities and individuals alike, um, and it's problematic in any instance, especially if it's not preceded by a charge of a crime and a criminal conviction. Okay, so yeah, so it, it's like a yes and no question, basically. It, it, uh, the fact that the government acknowledges corporations are persons in, in their abilities to contribute unlimited amounts of money to PACs, it doesn't really, uh, doesn't really translate into... Uh, the civil forfeiture rights, or more, more right. or less matter. rights. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't yeah. matter. No. Right. So, although right. some some smarty pants attorney can make it matter by making a case on that on that basis, correct or no? Uh, well, I, I'm not necessarily positive. I, I I know precisely the connection that you're drawing between the two. But it's one thing to to consider, though. Um, the reason why the First Amendment applies to corporations is not necessarily 
not at all because corporations are considered people. Um, rather, it's a question of whether or not government can control um, the dissemination of information, whether the source of that information is a corporate entity or a person, whether it's on the Internet or on TV or in writing. Um, that, that, that largely has to do with, with why many of these campaign finance laws that you seem to be talking about. Well, that also opens up another another four-way for another question. The recent attack and the disclosure of private information of a, the, the gentleman that was accused of slowing down the video in the Pelosi video. Uh, since yeah, he, he was wasn't doxed, yes, yeah, and he since he's not the or he's not the origin of the video, nor did he slow it down. He did repost it. Now, now there's he has he has further protections from the damage caused to him because of what you just said. Or I'm not, or are my stretching a factor? No, that's that's different because that's private doxing, disclosure of his address, and what he's concerned about is the government taking over your assets before you're convicted. No, but he was making a statement about corporations and the connection between corporations and persons in terms of rights of how they spend their money in in politics and the source of their informations, whether they come from websites or uh, corporations or persons, uh, the law doesn't distinguish and separate the three. They you have you you have the same rights. Or am I confusing uh, everybody for not being an attorney? <laughs> We're gonna fine you. We're gonna fine you. I'm gonna start growing my grass. Forget it. That's I'm gonna go home and just smoke not gonna, your grass. Yeah, yes. yeah. I'm gonna just start growing it and forget it and let you guys defend me for free. Is that possible? Look how they're uh, quiet. Look how it just isn't instinctual. No, no, they're. I, I, I never counsel anybody to intentionally violate the law. Right, no, but they're a pro bono uh, legal defense fund, so they. Yeah, but I already blew it because I said I'm going to go home and not mow my no, lawn. No, 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 no. Uh, I just you don't want to be intentionally, but that's great. Well, oh, thank well you, you know, uh, thank you for participating in our show, man. We always love to have you here. You guys have great cases. Yeah, no, I think the audience appreciates the fact that that there are groups like you out there. You know, defending these obscure violations of government, because government sucks. Well, all right. <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much for your time, man. It was awesome. Please call again. Take care, guys. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have these callers from these uh, public conservative and libertarian public interest law firms that are taking out a lot of good cases. And, you know, it, it, government just runs out of, con- out of control. Uh, in the one, in the first hour and a half, we were talking about how they're printing, making up money out of nothing, and now they're taking people's property. And clearly, in this case in Dunedin, they were looking seventy-year-old man, probably on fixed income, man. Yeah, That's... and and you know they they went out. They want they want to raise revenue for the. For the for the municipality, I mean that's ridiculous. That's well, not I think you're being. Gotta... I think it's innocuous to say that because it's kind of obvious. I in those small towns, I yep. personally believe it's a personal animus that they have. You know, somebody didn't like the gym. something's going on there, man. It's something. Jim's got a problem with some bureaucrats. They don't, you know, the the code enforcer because grass around. is the grass is just so petty kind of thing that it's got to be a personal thing, man. To think that a guy who Let's say he can't afford to mow his grass. That it has nothing to do with his mom taking care of his mom. What is twenty five thousand going to do? Less it's likely to good, mow his yeah. grass. The local church could uh, have a, yeah, a grass mowing day to help him out. It really does sound very personal. And I've been to Dunedin once. Yeah. And it's really cool 
because it's like a back in the bush neighborhoods, you know, really? no sidewalks. Well, I think the Toronto Blue Jays. A lot have their of uh, air, a there. lot of air plants hanging from trees. Really, a really cool mild man, kind of pungent though, because the soil is always wet. You know, not the soil. Really, the the, the terrain is wet because it's like uh, kind but, of very similar. But to they my, have a good little league team. Uh, it's obviously they won the national championship with. Yeah, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis was on it, and I think the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, have their spring training there. So there might be a lot of Canadian uh, expats. Yeah, I just remember that the neighborhood was, everything was really quiet and mellow. They did have the train track thing. They, had, the other, they had the other side of the track kind of thing. Uh, that was down the, somewhat in the center of town. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say I was really uh, oriented into the neighborhood. It's not like I spent a lot of time yep. there. I was just going to pick up someone there to go on into Tampa and then come back with Miami mm-hmm. with them. And I hadn't seen him in a long time. And uh, he was living in a room, uh, you know, shacking up with uh, two, uh, you know, retired people. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of living, living in, I don't know, kind of... Florida man. Yeah. Florida man. Yeah. Well, his point, though, is that this happens all over the place. Red lights are another thing. Uh Pine, uh, the village of Pinecrest. I've had some run-ins with them. I went to the city. That's Hall. a snooty town. Well, there you go. They they got me, uh, and then my wife insists on being law-abiding, so I, I fought them anyway. And then uh, what he talked about the Chicago impoundment racket, where you get. Why don't your you car- get more specific about Pinecrest? That's locality, man. It's, it's, that's, that's here near, the goods, it's, man. It's, it's near uh, Dadeland. So what'd I you do? By. You. I, I they caught they filmed my car going through a red light. Oh, you're a Pinecrest red light. Oh yeah, they had those yeah. long stretches of yep. uh, residential streets where people pick up. Well, the no, speed. I was on uh, US one. Oh, you're on US one. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, and since I would just you know, because I, I used to, to drive through Pinecrest, man, between one stop sign and another, there's places you can get up to 60, 70 miles an hour uh, in a residential right. street. But the other point he made was Chicago impoundment racket, and in Chicago you can get your car towed, and then you have to pay cash. To get it back. Oh, what's and, a towing fee in Chicago? Uh, I, that must yeah, be brutal. If ours yeah, is two fifty, yeah. theirs has got to be seven fifty. Well, I don't know how much it is, but <whistles> it's a, it's really an abuse of uh, power by a lot of municipalities, and it's not just a question of uh, you know they're raising revenue, but they're, sometimes they're in cahoots with third party towing companies, and, and they're making their their living by towing cars illegally or legally, or cars that are semi legally parked. Parked in the wrong place, parked for too long. So, or just parked because you got Tea yeah. Party stickers and, in and Chicago, Trump, the, the, the Trump twenty twenty stickers. Like, have you got your Trump? I have my Trump uh, sticker. Are you going to go to uh, Palm Beach now with Mister Dolan and pay the thirty five bucks and have the train bring you right back to Miami? No, no, no. But uh, there is going to be a demonstration here in uh, the in, Art in Miami at the Art Center on Wednesday and Thursday, uh, June twenty. 20- Oh, you'll be up at Fifth, the policy meeting up 26. there. Twenty-six. No, here in, uh, in in Miami. Yeah, no, but you will be up at the uh, Article Five uh, policy. No, no, that's this coming weekend. Uh, this coming weekend on the fifteenth, Saturday, June fifteenth, is the Convention of States, uh, State of Florida convention. So I'll be there. I'll be driving up Friday afternoon. Is uh, Nancy taking? Nancy it? is driving, and we're gonna, you know going to get up there in four hours, and uh, I promised to buy her. High 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 uh, octane petrol 
to go up to uh, Kiwis You pay for premium gas? We're, yeah, well, that's her car takes only premium gas. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Last time I put in regular gas, and we had trouble with it. Oh, we yeah. We had to add additive to yeah. get it going again. Yeah, yeah. when you got a premium gas, you got to do it. Yep. So, very- that, yeah, we're going to be doing that. But uh, next week we have a, a Polish philosopher who talks about how uh, some of the components of totalitarian practices like uh, stifling free speech are creeping into contemporary democracies. He was going to give a talk at Middlebury College, and he got shut down by the president. And then the week after that, we hope to have some uh, uh, Republican rabble-rousers calling in because they will be protesting the Democrat debates that will be held in in Florida. So that's uh, Monday. Where is the Democratic debate being held? I don't know. Somewhere in, in, uh, I think, maybe at the AAA, American Airlines Arena. So there will be a Republican protest near the Adrian Arsh Center, and that will be going At the same time, or no? At the same time. So we may... And that is late June. That's right. That's June uh, 26th and 27th. I'm glad you remember those dates, because I don't. Well, I guess we're at that point in time where we ask you to stay free, understand that, uh, that democracy has to be defended... But Republican democracy has to be fought for. There's a big difference. A democratic republic. We're not a democracy. We are a democratic republic. That's right. And that has to be waged war win. That's my catchphrase for the day. I posted that the other day, and I I was quite impressed. I really enjoyed it, and it came out of nowhere. So basically, you got to break on through. You can't be paranoid, and you got to you got to have a heart of rock and roll. Right. Those and are the next three songs. Yes. All right. So we're we're here at WSQF 94.5 FM in Key Biscayne, your evacuation route from socialist nonsense. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.